0: Hi there, it's episode 114. Today we're talking about the importance of play. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Welcome to episode 114. Today we're gonna to be launching off a month-long series on the importance of play. We'll be talking about all different types of play, rowdy play, nature play, work versus play, academic play, educational play, you name it. This is such an important topic because as parents, it's something that we need to understand better. Play is how our children learn from a very early age. And even once they get to be school age, they still have significant needs for play and for learning through play. And sometimes that's underestimated. So before we get into today's episode, I want to bring you a quick word from our sponsor. I love a good, innovative, clutter-free gift. I particularly love digital gifts, which is why I was really excited to learn about Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that brings stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs. I decided to try it out and have a song made for my sister who's getting married this fall. She and her fiance answered a few questions about how they met, where the proposal was, and a few interesting details about their relationship. And then Songfinch worked some magic and turned it into a beautiful song, which I'm gonna share a quick clip for you. The night before your birthday, 2017, I took you through the park and got down on my knee. I love you more, and I'd do anything to make you smile. There's so much to explore, and in just a if you want to give it a try, you can get $20 off a personalized song from scratch. Use promo code SIMPLE. Go to songfinch.com and use promo code SIMPLE. Back to today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of play. We know that our children learn through play and that learning is changing. And now, maybe more than ever, it's important that our children are given this opportunity, ample opportunity, to play play. Not only is it a vital part of their success socially, but also academically and physically as well. In this episode, we'll talk about the benefits of play, but we'll also talk about the stages and the types. So let's go ahead and get started. Play is something that we underestimate all the time. In the current state of affairs in America, we are being led to believe that children need to be in school from the earliest of ages. What we've seen is that a lot of daycare centers and childcare centers have changed their names to include school. So while it used to be the children's center, it's now the children's school. What used to be called daycare workers are now being called teachers. Well, this isn't harmful in and of its own right. It has changed the perception of the way that we think that children need to be educated in the early years. If there's a school for a one-year-old, what parent wouldn't want to get that education started early? Because sure, some one-year-olds probably can sit down at a desk and grip a crayon, but there's little to no developmental value into encouraging that type of behavior. Instead, our children should be given significant amount of free unstructured play. If they choose to sit down at the table with a crayon, then great. But the things that our kids are learning in the early years are setting the stage for success later on. Socially, we know that kids learn about teamwork and boundaries and power dynamics. They get to practice manners and language, and they get to use their imaginations and cooperate with peers and with adults. Play is how they build relationships in the early years, and we know that these years should be spent focused on these skills. But we also know here in America that education has changed. The work being required of kindergartners is the same work that was required of first graders a generation ago. And as a result, the requirements for kindergartners have been passed down to preschoolers. And again, that might not seem like a threat in and of itself. On the surface, it seems like if you can give your child a good start from the very beginning and get them into academics early, then why not? The biggest concerns come from the fact that these young brains should be spent instead developing their social and emotional skills. Here's an example of this. I was observing in a daycare center several years ago probably before it was called a school, but I'm sure at this point, the daycare center has changed its name to school because that has absolutely been the precedent across the board. So I was observing in a school for 18 to 24 month olds, and these children were learning the color orange. They spent an entire week learning the color orange. The teachers wore orange shirts. They ate oranges. They painted orange. It was orange, orange, everything. And the next week they started blue and they were doing the same with blue. And on Tuesday of that next week, the teacher said, all right, what color is this? And they held up a blue piece of paper and all the kids said orange. Despite devoting the previous week, whole week, to teaching the color orange to these children, they didn't learn the color orange and now they have confused blue with orange. Are these children stupid? Absolutely not. We know that different types of skills are acquired at different ages by different children. In fact, colors are one thing that is very abstract. There are so many shades of blue and so many shades of orange. Differentiating colors is a skill that many children don't have until they're two and a half or three. But the timing that the skill is acquired does not impact or reflect IQ. And when we spend an entire week teaching the color orange only to not have them retain it, we are wasting valuable precious time Time that could be spent building those social and emotional skills that children are really primed and ready to learn. Another example of this is to teach a two-year-old how to recognize the letters of the alphabet. Sure, could they learn it? Perhaps after months of drilling and a whole lot of time that could be better spent playing. Or you could wait three years and teach it when they're five. And at that point, it's probably only going to take you a week or two. We need to truly understand and internalize that just because you can teach things earlier and because people do and there are special programs regarding it, doesn't mean that we should. Play has become known as the opposite of work, but there is one thing that it is not, and play is not frivolous. There's a famous quote by Mr. Rogers that I really love that says, play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning, but for children, play is serious learning play really is the work of childhood play and learning are inextricably intertwined there's research that shows that play is a core ingredient in learning it allows children to imitate adult behaviors practice their motor skills process emotional events in the world and learn so much the way that the early childhood brain learns is different from the way that an adult brain learns the early brain learns through doing In the first years of life, the right brain is under major construction, and that right brain is what rules our language and our social skills and creativity and trust and intuition. The right brain needs to be nurtured and supported during these years in order to develop properly. The first years provide an important window of time for these skills to develop, so it's best nurtured through human-to-human interaction. That means less screen time, more people time, and hands-on, open play with other kids or with adults. The core parts of the left brain start to develop a little bit later. They develop after the toddler years, and they continue through adulthood. So the left brain controls elements like logic and writing and science and number skills. Like I said, we can attempt to teach these left brain skills to infants and toddlers through educational programs and apps, but it's not the best use of our time because it's not where their heads are at their heads are really in those right brain developmental skills. In today's generation, learning as we know it is changing. The way that we consume and use knowledge is changing incredibly. I know when I was growing up, content stood above others. So learning facts and really learning knowledge that you can memorize, whether it was social studies or science or the arts, memorization was a very, very important part of learning. But today we know that memorization isn't as vital because do you really need to know what year World War I started exactly when you can just Google it? Do we really need to know a list of all of the most famous works by Picasso? Because if we need to know it, we could just Google it. Now that's not to say that content's not important. There's absolutely value in knowing content. But there is so much information at our fingertips that the need to memorize and retain all of this content isn't the same as it used to be when we had to go to an encyclopedia and look up an answer. Instead, today, our children are being asked to focus on other types of learning. They need to be good communicators. They need to be good collaborators. They need to have really good critical thinking skills. We know that knowledge is doubling every two and a half years. So simply memorizing facts without learning how to think about them critically, isn't going to get us as far. Our kids also need to be creative and they need to innovate. In order to get ahead in this generation, they're going to need to be able to generate unique ideas. And lastly, they're going to need the confidence to pull all this stuff off. When they have confidence, they can test new ideas and boundaries, and they can take bold, calculated risks. A few years ago, I read a book called The Play is the Thing, and this book discussed so many of these principles and introduced me to this idea that what we learn through play is of utmost importance in the early years. I'm going to put the link to that book in the show notes. There's various different types of play. There's outdoor nature play. There's pretend play. There's rowdy play, which sometimes we call big body play. There's open play, where children are allowed to set their own scripts and to do whatever it is their heart's desires. And then there's directed play, where adults say, all right, you're going to play Red Rover, and the kids play. Although Red Rover is a game that no one seems to be allowed to play anymore. We know that the way that kids play changes as they get older. In the first stage, in the time that they're zero to two, the toddler years, they tend to play by themselves. They do imitate family members, but they often explore objects and toys alone. The next stage, around two or three, they start what's called parallel play, which means they sit next to each other and they often play with the same things, but they don't engage with each other and play together as much. As they get to be about three or four, they start associative play where they start to play independently, but you see some interacting, some talking, borrowing, taking turns, that sort of thing. When they get to be about kindergarten age, they start to engage in more cooperative play, which is where they start to interact together. They start to talk to each other and to listen to each other and share ideas. My favorite part of the book that I referred to, The Play is the Thing, is the discussion of play scripts and the roles that the adults play in the play. The authors Elizabeth Jones and Gretchen Reynolds talk about the role of play scripts. So play scripts are a theme. Imagine that your child's on stage at a theater and they're reading a script. So these scripts or what the child acts out in pretend plays, often based on what's going on in a child's life and things that they fantasized about. They weave fantasy into experiences. A lot of the times they're acting out things that they see at home. If you've, ever, if you've ever seen a child play house or play school, they start to imitate and use scripts that they see us using as adults and make them their own. As parents, sometimes we wonder, what are we supposed to do while our kids are playing? And there are a lot of options. You could do the dishes. You could do something on your own. You don't have to be on the ground playing with your kids all the time or even most of the time. You could also be an observer and you could just sit back and watch and to learn about your kids while they play. You could support the play and engage as one of the people playing, not necessarily the leader, though, because that's the other role that you could play, which is the interrupter of the play. And sometimes as adults, we do interrupt play. Jones and Reynolds talk about parents needing to be stage managers. So if our children are acting out scripts, then it's our job to be the stage manager. We need to make sure that our children have the space and the materials and the time to make the play happen. But they don't necessarily need us in the midst of it. As they get older and they get better at pretend play, they might need less props and less materials. Parents can be mediators of play, so they can manage behavior. One thing that we need to be careful of is interrupting our kids when they're playing. When we come in with our own agenda, it's really hard for us to authentically join the play. Sometimes we interrupt and try to teach rules and interrupt and try to teach concepts. But our job isn't to dictate. It's not to lead. You might be thinking, if our kids are learning through play, then isn't it my job as a parent to be teaching through play? The reality is that most of the teaching that we're doing is happening without us even knowing it. At home, our children learn through what's called incidental learning, and that's learning that takes place without the adult even knowing or intending to do it. So that doesn't mean jumping on Pinterest and getting some kind of well-organized activity. It's about being aware, being natural with your kids, and being respectful of their learning process. I know that when it comes to play, I don't get down on the floor and play with my kids all the time. I want them to be able to play independently. I want them to be able to play with each other and with peers. And I want to be able to do the dishes when when I need to do the dishes. It's so important to keep these things in mind when you're choosing a preschool or a school for your children. I know if I'm visiting a school, which I have visited a lot of schools over the years, that if I see kids doing worksheets in preschool, that's a huge red flag. Instead, I like to look for play-based curriculums, child-led curriculums. And some of the words that I look for when I'm looking at the website of an early childhood center or of a preschool is child-led, play-based, developmentally appropriate. These are all good buzzwords. And then when I visit, I look at the teacher interactions. Is the teacher lining them up and telling them exactly what to do the whole time? Or are the kids being encouraged to take initiative and leadership and bring new ideas? Sometimes when we're watching our children play, it doesn't necessarily look as we expect it to look. It doesn't really look like they're doing anything important. But I want you to know that they are, that all the play that children do is important. In fact, it's their life's work. In our house, we call play work and it helps to give it a different tone. It helps to create a sentiment of respect around it. I also call things around the house that I do work. So if I'm folding the laundry or if I'm doing the dishes, I call that my work because I want my children to know that those things are work for me too. They're important parts of my day and it's important to respect me when I'm doing those things. Calling what both I do and my children do work puts us on equal footing. It shows my children that their activities and their interests are just as important as mine. And they are valued just as much as I value my own interests. So the next time that you're calling your kid to get ready for school and they're deeply immersed in some play, resist the temptation to say, oh, you're just playing, let's go. Because the play or work, whichever one you want to call it, that they're doing is important to them. And it's important to their development and growth. I hope you've enjoyed this brief introduction to play. We're going to be taking a closer look at this topic over the next couple of weeks. I'm excited to bring you an interview about the benefits of rowdy play, which is a pretty controversial topic, but there's actually a lot of really wonderful developmental benefits around rowdy play or horse play, whichever you want to call it. We'll also be looking at a few different perspectives on play. And talking about how we as parents can partner with our children and help to improve the opportunities for play. And spoiler alert, it does not involve buying a lot of new toys. Thanks so much for tuning in. I look forward to chatting with you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 114. Thanks for your support.